Greetings, friends. My name is Jim Samra, and I'm a pastor uh, at Calvary Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it's a joy and privilege for me to address you uh, today and to share some thoughts from God's Word. Uh, Maudlin Road Church is a church that we have known of for some time. We lived in Oxford for three years in the early 2000s, and I'm so grateful for the fact that we're partners in the gospel, and we've known Richard and Catherine Weston for a long time. They have been a huge blessing to our family. Uh, we're getting to know Pastor Dan Steele better, and he invited me to address you today, and I'm super grateful for that. He also is going to be blessing our church. He's been doing some research uh, on church planting that's going to be a huge benefit to us, and so we're very grateful for the way the Lord is uh, growing partnerships and you may never have heard of Grand Rapids, Michigan, but Oxford, England has a huge place in our hearts. And so I'm really grateful for the opportunity uh, to open God's word and to share it with you. And I'm grateful for the technology to be able to do that. So I'd like uh, to open us in prayer and then we'll dive in. So may I pray for us. Father, I praise you, uh, God, that you through time and space, bind our hearts together. And so, Lord, I pray for a Maudlin Road Church. Lord, what a great witness this church has been uh, in Oxfordshire and in the city of Oxford. Uh, God, I pray for this church. I pray that you would give them strength. And even now, Lord, as uh, we are meeting together virtually, God, thank you for this technology. Uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity that, uh, God, we can share together in your word. And Lord, uh, we're not hindered by the fact that we're not able right now to be together. God, I praise you that through your spirit, uh, we are uh, present uh, with one another. And so God, bless our time together as we open your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak through it to our hearts. Jesus, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so be lifted high and be glorified today, for we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, about a month ago, my wife and four children and I all tested positive for COVID-19. Now, this was a, a bit of a shock to us. We, you know, Americans don't tend to follow rules, but we were following the rules and we were doing what we were asked to do, wearing masks and social distancing and all of those things. Um, but we got sick and we tested positive. And I will say to you, the first question that entered my mind when I got that diagnosis was, God, where are you? Like, we were doing what you asked us to do. In fact, I think I got it uh, by doing a ministry thing that the Lord impressed upon my heart to do. And so I'm asking the question, God, where are you? Like, I didn't think it was supposed to work this way. And maybe you're asking that question as well. Maybe you're asking it sort of on a, on a bigger scale, like, God, where are you in this global pandemic, uh, Lord? Maybe you're asking it uh, in regards to the British economy, which I know has been going through some really difficult times. God, where are you in this? Uh, maybe with regards to Brexit and Brit Britain leaving the EU. God, where are you? How are you at work? What's going on in all of this stuff? Maybe this is a question that you've been asking personally. Uh, maybe you too have had a health crisis or something that you've gone through. Maybe there's a financial situation, the loss of job, uh, difficulty at school, whatever it may be. And you're asking the question, God, where are you? Sometimes we ask that question in sort of an accusing kind of way, like, God, it shouldn't be like this. Lord, we shouldn't get sick. God, this thing shouldn't happen. Sometimes we ask that question in an honest sort of way, like, Lord, look, I just, I need to know where you're at. Why am I going through this? God, I need your help in the midst of this. Well, the question, God, where are you, is an intriguing question. It also happens to be kind of the last major question of the Old Testament. When the Old Testament closes, this is the question that's on everyone's mind. 
And what's interesting to me is in the Old Testament, you know, we start with creation and Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Moses, and uh, the Exodus, the conquest, the judges, Saul and David and Solomon, uh, heading off into the divided monarchy, the exile, the return, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Esther. The Old Testament covers this huge portion of time. And when we get to what is the last book of the Old Testament in our English Bibles, we find that the last major question is, God, where are you? So I invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. Malachi, chapter 2. Again, if you're uh, looking for the book, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi, chapter 2. I'm using the New International Version. I'm not sure which version you might have, but I'll be reading out of the New International Version. Malachi chapter 2. At the end of chapter 2, there is this question. Where is the God of justice? Now, there are a few other questions that happen in the rest of Malachi, but this is the last major question. And the way our English Bibles are set up, it's the last book of the Old Testament, so this makes it the last question of the Old Testament. And it's really a powerful question. Now, in Malachi, the Israelites are asking this question accusingly. They're saying to God, God, where are you? Like, things shouldn't be like this. There shouldn't be all of this suffering, Lord. You're not doing your job. God, you've left us. God, you've abandoned us. But if we're honest, it also is a question that we ask today from purity of heart sometimes, where we're like, Lord, I just need some, I just need to know where you are. I just need to know what you're doing. Now, it's interesting to me that this is the last question of the Old Testament, humans asking God, God, where are you? Because intriguingly, the first question of the Old Testament is God asking humans, where are you? And the idea is, is that in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve choose to disobey God and to sin, God comes to the earth and he's looking for Adam and Eve and the first major question of the Old Testament from God is, where are you? And when you look at these two together, it's, in, it's powerful to me that at the beginning of the Old Testament, because of our sin, we've moved away from God. By the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, humans are accusing God of moving away from us. When in reality, it's been our sin that has created the problems in the world. It's our sin that has created the chaos. It's our sin that has created all of the difficulty. But even though it's our sin, and even though we're the ones who moved away from God, God didn't move away from us. Even though the Old Testament starts with God asking us, where are you? And the Old Testament ends with us asking God, God, where are you? God chooses to answer this question. He does so fully in Malachi 4, but to get us there, I want to look kind of a little bit through Malachi 3, and then we want to look at God's answer to the question, where is the God of justice? Where is God in the midst of the pandemic? Where is God in the midst of Brexit? Where is God in the midst of economic problems? Where is God in the midst of health crises and financial difficulties and job loss, loneliness? Where is God? Well, the answer comes, Malachi chapter 3. Where is the God of justice? God replies, chapter 3, verse 1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. 
Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. God says, where is God? I'm coming. First there will be a messenger, and then the Lord you are seeking will come. The God you're looking for, the God we're looking for, is going to come. Verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Notice God is coming on a specific day. There's going to be a day in which the Lord answers the question, where is God? He's here. He's come to be among us. We see this in chapter 3, further on, verse 17. On the day when I act. What day? Well, the day of his coming. The question is, where is the God of justice? God says, I'm coming. There is a specific day, and I'm going to come. Verse 17, it's a day when God will act. All of which leads us over into chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. What day? Well, the day of the Lord's coming. This day we've been talking about. Where is the God of justice? He's coming. There is a day that has been marked out in the future in which God will come. And Malachi says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will stumble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The answer to the question, where is God? God says, I'm coming. And there is a day set aside for God's coming. That day is called the day of the Lord. Do you see how it's referred to that in verse 5? Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. The day of God's coming is called the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, according to Malachi 4, is first of all a day of judgment. The day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. The day that is coming will set them on fire. And so the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. It's also a day of salvation. But for you who revere my name, not for those who do enough good works, but for those who fear the Lord, for those who place their faith in the Lord, for those who revere God's name, the day of the Lord is a good day. It's a day in which the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Now, I had never seen a frolicking well-fed calf. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I went on YouTube and watched a video of frolicking calves, and I couldn't help but smile the entire time. I encourage you, if you've not seen it, look for a video like that. It's hard to wipe the smile off your face. 
This is the idea, the day of the Lord for those who revere God's name is a day of unadulterated joy. It's also, importantly, a day that is connected to Moses and Elijah. Verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses. Verse 5, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, why Moses and Elijah? Well, remember the question that the, the, the day of the Lord is answering. The question is, where is God? Moses and Elijah have two of the most powerful and most important theophanies or appearances of God in the Old Testament. Both of them happen on Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb. God appears to Moses. He shows him his backside, reveals his glory to him, puts him in the cleft of the rock. Years later, Elijah, after fire comes down from heaven in 1 Kings 18, is going through a time of deep darkness and depression and loneliness and wants to know where God is. God leads him to his holy mountain, to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And there God appears to Elijah, not in the wind or the fire or the storm, but in the still small voice. And so twice in the Old Testament, we have this beautiful picture of in the midst of our trouble and our difficulty and our chaos, in the midst of our questions, where is God? Moses gets an appearance of God. Elijah gets appearance of God. And as we close out the Old Testament, there is this great promise. A day is coming when God will dwell on the earth, and that day is connected to Moses and Elijah. Well, that's how the Old Testament closes. It closes with this great promise, this hope, this longing. Well, it's not very long until we get a fulfillment of these promises, and I'd like to look through that with you. So turn over just a few pages into the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, just a few pages into the New Testament. And as you can imagine, if this is how the Old Testament closes, the New Testament is longing and waiting for the fulfillment of these promises. Where is God? He's coming. Matthew chapter 17, this is the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. It says in verse 1, after six days... Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, S-U-N, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them, who? Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Now, having just read Malachi 4, we're supposed to recognize, whoa, something important is happening here. This is connected to Malachi 4. We've got the Son, S-U-N, sorry, S-O-N, Jesus, appearing like the Son, S-U-N, and Malachi 4 said the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Malachi 4 says on the day of the Lord, Moses and Elijah are connected to this day, and on the Mount of Transfiguration, here are Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus. And the disciples recognize what's going on. And so while the rest of the passage talks about what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration, if we keep going in verse 10, on the way back down the mountain, the disciples asked him, 
Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Where did they get the idea that Elijah comes first? It's Malachi 4. So Peter, James, and John, good Jewish boys, walking down the mountain say, well, Malachi says Elijah comes before the day of the Lord, and Jesus says that's right. And he did come, although most people missed it because he came in the person of John the Baptist. So here in Matthew 17, we get the fulfillment, at least in part, of what is promised and prophesied in Malachi 4. The last question of the Old Testament is, where is God? And the promise of the Old Testament is, he's coming. There is a day in which he will come to his earth. There is a day in which he will come to creation. And we get to Matthew 17 and we find it's Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is God in the flesh coming to dwell among us. And in the Old Testament, the question is, where is God? We've had a couple of pictures of him in a theophany with Moses and in a theophany with Elijah. But where is the God of justice? Where is the God in the midst of our suffering? Where is God in the midst of our pain? Matthew 17 comes along and says he's here. He's here in the person of Jesus. Amen? Now you may be saying amen just like I'm saying amen. But if we're honest, this doesn't really answer our question. The question at the end of the Old Testament is, where is God? The New Testament says he's in Jesus. But that still leaves us with the question, well, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in the midst of COVID-19? Where is Jesus in the midst of the things going on in England right now? Where is Jesus in the midst of the things going on in America and the racial tensions and the political things happening in the, all over the world? Where is Jesus in wildfires and droughts and tsunamis? Where is Jesus in my loneliness? Where is Jesus in my struggles? And if we're honest, Jesus is not physically present among us on the earth. And so we're still left with the question, where is Jesus? in the midst of all this difficulty? Well, Matthew 17 actually gives four answers to that question. Four answers that weren't possible in the Old Testament, but now are possible because of Jesus. The first answer, you have to glance over in your Bible from Matthew 17 to Matthew 18. When Jesus, Peter, James, and John come down the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 18 Verse 20, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. He's talking about the church. It's used in that context in Matthew 18. It's also referenced in Matthew 16. And the church, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And when the church gathers together, when the church meets, when the church exists, when two or three people gather together, Jesus says, that's where I am. I will be with you. Now, think back with me to the Mount of Transfiguration. How many people went up the mountain with Jesus? 
I know Moses and Elijah appear on the mountain, but how many people go up the mountain with Jesus? Three. Peter, James, and John. And what happens when those three people are gathered together on that mountain? Jesus, his glory appears to them in a unique way. And he is transfigured among them. This is what Matthew 18 is talking about. This is a sneak preview of the church. So the first answer to the question, well, where is Jesus? He's present in the church. He's present with us in and through the church. That while God is, is present everywhere in the world, he is uniquely present in the church. The church is the body of Christ. Where two or three gather together, Jesus is present in our midst. So the first answer to the question, well, where is Jesus? He's present in and through the church. The second answer to the question, where is Jesus? He's with us in suffering. It says in verse 12, But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. 1 Peter 4 says, Blessed are you when you go through suffering, because God is present with you in a unique way. And the answer to the question, where is God? He is with us in suffering in a unique way. Now, we as Americans, uh, you as English, or whatever country you may be from, whatever your nationality or ethnicity may be, it is a universal, worldwide phenomenon. We do not like to suffer. Americans, probably more than most, we tend to run away from suffering. We want to use money to get us out of suffering. We want to use power to avoid suffering. The problem is, is while we're running away from suffering, God is running towards suffering. And when we ask the question, where is God? His answer is, I'm here in the midst of suffering. And too often we fail to see him because we're trying the best we can to get away from all suffering. But the answer to the question, where is God? He's with us in suffering. The third answer that Matthew 17 gives us as to where is God? He's with us during this age in disguise. The reason why nobody recognized Elijah is because he doesn't look like Elijah. On the mountain of transfiguration, Moses and Elijah show up. And I have no idea how Peter, James, and John know that it's Moses and Elijah. I don't know if they got little name tags that say, hello, my name is Moses, or hello, my name is Elijah. But somehow they know that's Moses and that's Elijah. What nobody says is, oh, that's Moses and John the Baptist. But when they're coming down the mountain and they ask the question, well, where was Elijah? Jesus says, he was here, but you missed him. John the Baptist came, not as a reincarnation of Elijah, but in the spirit and power of Elijah. And the reason why they missed it is because it was hidden from their eyes. Later on in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is going to say uh, during judgment, hey, thank you to believers for visiting me in prison for feeding me when I was hungry, for giving me something to drink when I was thirsty, for being a companion when I was lonely, for welcoming me as a stranger into your home, into your country, into your church. And believers are going to say, Jesus, when did we do this for you? When did we see you hungry or in prison or a stranger or a lonely or an immigrant? When did we do these things for you? And he's going to say, I was there in the least of these. And when you did it for them, you did it for me, that he's here among us 
in disguise. And so Jesus is present with us, but we can't see him sometimes. He's there in a friend. He's there in a ministry opportunity. He's there in someone we might be serving. He's there in someone who's using their gift of encouragement to encourage us. They don't look physically like Jesus, but Jesus is there with them. And Jesus says, I'm with you in suffering, often though in disguise. And then the fourth and final answer to the question, where is Jesus now in this age in 2020? He's coming again. Matthew 17 is a sneak, pre, a sneak peek, not of the first coming of Jesus, but of the second coming. This is a preview of his return to the earth. And what we find out is Jesus' incarnation, Jesus' first advent, his first coming, partially fulfills Malachi 4. There is a second coming in which Jesus will return to the earth in the fullness of his glory and he will fulfill all of the judgment and all of the rescue and salvation that Malachi 4, all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament is looking forward to. And so it's powerful to me that the last question of the Old Testament, where is God? Where is God in the midst of suffering? Where is God in the midst of difficulty? This is the question on my heart as well. And Matthew 17 comes along and says, he's present with us even now in the person of Jesus. I told you that a month ago, uh, me and my family were all diagnosed with COVID-19. We had sort of medium to mild cases but it was enough of a case uh, and enough of a difficulty. I was knocked out for eight days. It was enough of a, a hardship that I was asking the question, Lord, where are you? And the answer to that question was, number one, I'm here with you in the church. And our church took such incredibly good care of us, prayed for us, brought us food, watched over us, helped us. It was such a blessing. And in the midst of that suffering, God was present with us in the church. Secondly, in the midst of the suffering, God drew near to us in a unique and powerful way. That's the thing. You read about uh, this pandemic, COVID-19, in newspapers and uh, sites and all these things, and they describe for you the symptoms. And when I got it, it looked just like those symptoms. But what they can't describe is the fact that when all those symptoms come, there was one night in which I was like, I'm having trouble breathing. And there was this fear, if this gets any worse, do I have to go to the hospital? Am I gonna be on a ventilator? How's this going to work? You know how it works with those fears as they play in your mind. In the midst of it, the thing that can't be described is the fact that Jesus was right there the whole time. And I felt him holding my hand. I felt him say, look, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. The third way that Jesus was present with me was he was there in disguise. What do I mean? I mean, my family and I have had COVID-19 and God's brought us safely through it. And when I look back now, I actually am thanking God for that sickness. Now, I'm not thankful for all of the difficulty and the hardship that it's causing all over the world. I'm not thankful for those things, except for the fact that God met me in the midst of this suffering. God took me safely through this suffering and I was reminded in the midst of it, God is a God who's still in charge of all things. And if God had chosen to take me home, it would be to be with him forever in eternity. He chose to heal me in this, in this life during this time 
And I was reminded God is greater than this sickness. And that God has allowed these kinds of things and allows this stuff in our life because he can then come to us in disguise, but in unique ways. And then fourth, in the midst of it, I was reminded that in the, all that's happening in this world, that even though I got better, there are some people that don't. Uh, there's still economic fallout. There are relational issues and difficulties. Our country feels like it's being torn apart. I'm sure in England there is just incredible amounts of spiritual warfare and conflict and difficult things. And in the midst of it all, I was reminded, Jesus is present in the church. He's present with us in suffering. He's present with us now in disguised sorts of ways. But I'm longing for him to return. I'm longing for him to come back to this earth and make things right. I'm longing for this earth no longer to be run by the human politicians we have running it now. I'm longing for Jesus to come and to make things right. I'm longing for him to come and heal us of diseases. I'm longing for us to get to the point where there's no more sin or sorrow or crying or death. And in the midst of the difficulty, Jesus was present reminding me, I am coming again. I will make all things right. So whatever you're going through now, hardship or difficulty, you might be asking the question, where is God? The answer is, he's with us in Jesus, especially in the church, especially during suffering, often in disguised ways, and often encouraging our hearts to long for his return. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this chance to share together with brothers and sisters, uh, many of whom I've not met, but through the Spirit we are one in Christ. And I pray that this word might be a word of encouragement to them. And God, as you have been so faithful with us in the midst of our suffering, I know that you will be faithful at Maudlin Road in the midst of whatever they're going through for each individual, for them collectively as a church. Lord, I pray for Dan. I pray that, God, you would continue to help him be a pastor of that church in a powerful way. I pray for others who are serving in that church, for the missions that I know that church is doing, for the church planting and the other things that the church is involved with. God, thank you for their faithful witness. And Lord, in whatever ways they might be asking the question, where are you, God? I pray they would hear you say, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm present, and I'm coming again. I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for letting me join you. God bless, and have a wonderful day.